Welcome back to The Deeper Cut, a podcast ministry of Mercy Hill Presbyterian Church. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Tim Pasek, ruling elder at Mercy Hill, and I'm joined, as always, with um, my partner and friend and, and brother in Christ and fellow elder, Pastor Phil Henry. Phil, good to see you today. How are you? Good. Good morning, Tim. Good to see you, too. It's good to be with you again for another week of the, of the Deeper Cut podcast. And we're joined um, in studio this morning as well with a special guest, Phil. You've uh, you've fallen into the role, or I've given you the role without choosing, of uh, introducing our, our guest each week. So maybe I'll, I'll toss this to you again. Would you introduce our Happy esteemed to guest today? Happy to do it. Brandon, good morning. Welcome to the podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Brandon is a member of our church and an aspiring theologian and uh, currently a, a, a school teacher and super excited to see what God's doing in your life. And we're also looking forward to your contributions to our conversation today. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. There's no pressure on you whatsoever, Brandon, <laughs> now that we are expecting great things from yes, you. Yes, we're expecting great things from you. <laughs> Don't disappoint us. <laughs> Brandon, God loves you and he has a great plan for your life, mm-hmm. even, even this morning. Amen. So, um, but thanks again for joining us, everyone out there. We are in week two or episode two of our new sermon series on First uh, Peter that Phil started last week. And um, if you hadn't had a chance to listen to our episode from last week, I'd encourage you to do so. It has some good background information. We, we kind of talked a little bit, or Phil um, gave us a, a peek into the mind of a, a pastor uh, in terms of how one comes up with the idea of a sermon series and the preparation that goes into that. And so I would uh, selfishly uh, maybe uh, urge you to go listen to that episode before following along with this one. But today we'll continue in talking about First Peter. And um, Phil, you did something this week or, or uh, from the, the pulpit on Sunday, which is, I, I would say, somewhat unusual for you. You preached the same exact text two weeks in a row so what what's up with that what's up with that that's the best way i can phrase that question today part of it was just a a little administrative error on my part because technically last week i preached first two and this week i preached first one but i didn't preach all of verse two last week and i definitely didn't preach all of verse one this week i just preached two words in verse one so, uh, scattered exiles were essentially my two words for this, this week's sermon. Building on one word, elect, which I did touch on last week. Right. But depending on how you translate it, and uh, I can see your eyes are starting to cross already, Tim. You could have that word elect as the first word of verse 2, depending on how you because the word order in Greek and the word order in English don't work out the same. And if you read Hebrews, or sorry, 1 Peter 1, 1 and 2 in like five translations, uh, I think the better translations f- uh, push el- the word elect or chosen to the very end of verse 1 to make it clear that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, which is verse 2. So that's why I say... Last week I preached verse 2, this week I preached verse 1, and I don't know how I was supposed to explain that to the church. <laughs> the so easy just, way is make it look it. like the AV team had a typo there you and go. had the same verses up for two weeks in a row. There you go. So for the record, we do not have a typo on our okay. website. <laughs> Your sermon text was both verses, both weeks, although and, you, and you highlighted. And when I've done this before, I've usually done part 1 and part 2. Mm-hmm. But this wasn't really a part one, part two thing. It was really two separate messages. So yeah, we're really in the deeper cut now. Right, right. But well, it's it's good for for folks to understand um, the amount of work and the amount of forethought that goes into yeah. preaching these things. You're not just you know closing your eyes and saying, "Lord, point me to a passage," mm-hmm. and you know sticking your finger in your Bible and goes, "This is what I'm preaching this week." Right. So I, I appreciate. Right. I appreciate a little bit of the, the thinking 
in your mind. Um, it, it occurred to me, Phil, and I was sharing this with you earlier, um, just sitting at church and, and listening to you preach this sermon, that it, it seemed to me to be almost a setup. It was a thema- not thematic sermon in nature of what you preached. It was exegetical from the text, but it was speaking of a theme that we will probably revisit from time to time throughout the book of First Peter. I was hoping that you would uh, confirm or deny that that was the case. Confirmed. So um, if, if you're listening and you have your Bible in front of you, uh, and Tim, you've got a Bible there, you might check this out. If you look at verse 1 of First Peter chapter 1, we get the place that Peter is writing to the diaspora, and he lists these five mm-hmm. uh, regions. They're not a couple of them are Roman provinces in Asia Minor. A couple are not. They're just regions, and so there's a little, there's quite quite a bit of scholarly debate about what exactly these are. And half the commentators end up, we don't know. So that's a good sign that it probably doesn't need to be preached. Right. <laughs> but. Um, and then if you look at the last verse of 1 Peter chapter 5, and I, I maybe verse 13, so not quite the last verse. Read that. Um, she who is at Babylon. So he's telling us where he's writing from, which is probably Rome. Yep. So the location is important for Peter. And the location in the end is clearly symbolic, Babylon. He's almost certainly not writing in, you know, kind of the ancient geographic domain of Babylon. It's probably a a code word for Rome. So Peter's writing from Rome to Christians in Roman provinces that he calls diaspora, and there's a little bit of a discussion there is diaspora a capital D, or is it dis- dispersed? Yeah, ESV dis- translated the exiles of the dispersion. So they, they often cut their mustard both ways. So they lowercase d, without giving the full Jewish significance of diaspora, capital D, which means something very specific to the Jews in exile in Babylon, ironically. But neither do they go with the approach of saying this is really describing the character of their lives. They're scattered, which is kind of the most generic descriptor that that some translations use. So they're of the dispersion. Mm -hmm. So um, and then in in First Peter chapter two verse eleven. Why don't you read that? Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which are which wage war against your soul. So smack dab in the middle of the book is a, a repetition of the exile theme, use that word, mm-hmm. as a basis for a moral exhortation to godliness. So three points make a line. So you have the beginning and the middle and the end are talking symbolically themes of being strangers in a place. And it's, it's actually quite a lot more than that. But those three suffice to show that, that uh, when Peter begins his letter with the phrase, elect exiles of the dispersion, which is the ESV, we're supposed to pay attention. And in terms of exile, the idea of being on a journey, which was my sermon title, is one way to conceptualize the life of a sojourner or of a wanderer. You're going from a place to a place. And so that, um, I've used the phrase swing thought before, that swing thought I thought was going to be helpful for the listener to think, okay, God's got me on a journey. What do I need to know? And that really is Peter's burden, I think, uh, in, a, in a very simple way, which is part of the goal of preaching, is to make 
the profound truths of scripture simple and digestible for the person in the pew. So it was thematic, exegetical, and it was grounded in the two words of, of verse 2, the scattered or the dispersed exiles, but thematic in that it, it attempted to give voice to the whole fabric of Peter's hmm. uh, uh, thought world of, of trying to instruct us on how we're supposed to live as people who are displaced. Yeah, I thought the way you preached that was extremely <coughs> helpful in the sense of that we're on a journey. Although I'd say that that's something that 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 word gets used a lot now. And sometimes like great, like it, it bothers me, you know, I'm on my journey and thinking to myself that this just seems like a there's got to be a, a clearer way to define that or to describe that. But when you, I'm, my mind's going through the old Testament now and basically 90% of the old Testament is God's people on a journey, like quite literally on a journey, um, moving around from place to place. So yeah, that, so that's how you, you anchor it in redemptive history. And, um, maybe you don't name your church that, <laughs> but uh, the title of a sermon with appropriate instruction, discipleship, or, you know, part of, Brandon, we've talked about this a little bit, part of the goal of, part of my goal as a preacher and part of the goal of a good sermon is to teach people how to interpret the Bible. And you don't want to turn it into a lecture, but I think a good sermon, you'll leave feeling like I, I know a little bit, I have a few more tools on how to interpret the Bible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Kind of the uh, hermeneutics. Um, you know, now that I've, I've heard some of these things, you can go home and uh, follow that same pattern in your own study, and then it's not just about Sunday to Sunday. You can use those tools. Or just to about the preacher. Them. Yeah. So we have a, a kingdom of priests, which is a First Peter phrase. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as the, the congregation becomes more skilled in their hermeneutics, or their hermeneutical skills are sharp, then they're going to be less susceptible to bad preaching. Yeah, absolutely. Or bad theology. Absolutely. So part of my goal, I think, in co-opting a very postmodern, wishy-washy kind of uh, metrosexual <laughs> idea of a journey. It's just soft and nice, you know, un inoffensive. But then I said, God has placed you on this journey. That's not nice. That's not soft. That's, a, that's quite offensive. It's Calvinistic. But it's it's the most refreshing kind of offense because now I know that my life I'm not the captain of my ship that whatever choices I'm making I'm making as part of a program of a community first of all not just me individually so there's some ecclesiology there some doctrine of the church and I don't have a choice by the way I made it clear there is no journey uh, solo journey. You're you're journeying as part of the community of the faithful. Number one, and then number two, you're under the direction and the guidance of God. He started you on the journey, and He's given you the map. So you don't even, in a sense, really get to choose where you're going. And in fact, it's it's the reality that what happens to me on the journey, which is so often painful and difficult. This was in the message that brings me so much frustration. So I'm actually using this postmodern concept of journey in a judo-esque fashion because I'm repackaging it with a redemptive historical meaning that I think most of us forget. Yeah, so you, your journey is speaking of Israel in the wilderness, right? True. 
And when I hear Journey, my head immediately goes to a Toyota commercial. Oh, no. Where the SUV is driving through the mountains and stops, and it's a beautiful sunrise vista. You know, and, and, and I think yeah. that that's what I'm saying. I yeah. grate at it sometimes because my head just naturally goes, oh, Journey, this is a fun thing. This is a road trip, you know, through beautiful mid-America and the Rockies, and we end up on the coasts. And, and that's what I think, Journey. And then I have to have someone speaking to me through the Holy Spirit from the pulpit go, no, 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 this is 40 years of wandering through the desert. Correct. Following the pillar of fire, <laughs> eating manna. You know what I mean? Like, that's the journey, not... That's right. You know, not the Pacific Coast Highway. That's right. Yeah. So... The um, kind of postmodernist trope of... No, the journey is the destination. <laughs> right. uh, no, no, actually, the destination was not the wilderness. Israel. The kingdom Thank of God. God is the destination. Yeah, exactly. Thank God, the journey is not the destination. Yeah, that that's good. And and in thinking of it that way, I guess what I'm what I was trying to get to there was actually um, anchoring what when you say journey, anchoring that in redemptive historical narrative of of the bible um helps then me to appreciate and actually understand and apply what you had preached on mm-hmm. and what is important about this because otherwise it's like eh, yeah, yeah, i just want to look at the sites phil like I, I don't i don't need to know the other stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> just let me let me enjoy the ride if you will you know but the fact that um e- even the idea of exile you know we can probably unpack that a little bit more like that's not a word that we use in normal speech anymore and i would venture to guess that most of us myself included we hear exile it's like i don't feel like an exile you know i live in a melting pot culture you know maybe in some ways i I feel a little bit different uh, particularly as a christian but i don't look different i don't sound different i don't like uh, there's some differences in, in what I like as opposed to uh, my neighbors, but generally speaking, exile doesn't like hit home for me at least. Uh, and we talked about that a little bit last week, I think. With Probably we did, yeah. Um, but I think that's important to keep in our mind, and something I'm going to try to keep in my mind as we go through First Peter is that this is who he's writing to, and this does apply to me, I guess so one of the things I wanted to ask you when you were sharing um, kind of contextually for the first couple sermons, the background and Peter's in Rome and he's writing to the dispersed church in exile. Well, how how does that apply to, to me then? Mm -hmm. You know, like how do I fit into that? Theologically speaking, I think I understand it, but it's, I think it's hard for, for me to necessarily Mm -hmm. get there in my mind. So I used one illustration I used was as a woman sharing the gospel with her husband who then used the Roman legal system to his advantage and essentially divorced her. I think that applies to a a lot of guys and gals today who have a spouse that doesn't share their beliefs and uh, either explicitly or uh, you know sues for divorce or implicitly pulls away from just the, the intimacy of marriage that God designs God has designed I mean if 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 a couple comes to the church and and the wife isn't interested in the gospel or in you know the things of the Lord and the husband is or vice versa and we've had both both kinds as part of our fellowship before Uh, it's a tremendous pressure on the believing spouse or the actively growing spouse you know, it's never just that simple. Now we're kind of in pastoral care because it's often the case if the husband is really thrilled about Scripture and a Bible-believing church, he's underdeveloped in some other areas, and the wife, being savvy, 
knows this isn't just about finding the right church. Uh, my husband needs to get his life together and not just have an overdeveloped sense of where we should go to church as a family. Um, and likewise, if, if the, um, the wife is really clear in her mind about scripture and the husband's somewhat distant, there's often a mismatch there where there's a, a perhaps a deep a middle level or a deep dysfunction in her relations to her unbelieving husband that need to be sanctified. And I think in both cases, the church can help. But um, So there's definitely pressure in marriage today when it comes to, to that, so that one of two spouses will feel like an exile, even in their own marriage relationship. Um, and just we have a couple uh, of people in the church that are involved in the university so if you're involved at any point in academia brandon you have an interest in going into uh, the academy yeah there's a there's definitely a script you have to follow in in the in the secular academy in order to to get a paper published to to obtain tenure um even if you're writing your PhD dissertation, you've got to follow certain conventions, even grammatical conventions. You know, they rather than he or he slash she, or however you want to do it. Everything from that kind of gender language level to really profound um, kind of the progressive movement, however it might be. So, yeah. I think I also mentioned, Tim, and, and then I'll see if you guys want to comment too. Scholars dis debate whether Christians in the first century, and I think Peter was written before the fall of Jerusalem, First Peter was, they debate the degree to which persecution was explicit and targeted against them because they were Christians. And I haven't figured it out yet. First Peter 4.16 says, if you're if you suffer because of the name of of Christ, meaning because you're called Christian, it's one of the two places in the New Testament where the word Christian appears. Right. So, my my thinking is that's a controlling concept that the people to whom Peter writes, similar to what his own experience is, were experiencing uh, political and/or cultural pressure for being known as Christians per se, but whether it was soft or hard persecution is really hard, it's, it's hard to tell. But uh, there is no more nuanced place in, I think, the entire Bible that deals with this question of how to navigate the waters of hostile hmm. society in a way that's uh, befriending, co-opting, building upon common grace points, but also resisting, opposing in an antithetical way, uh, protecting yourself from uh, compromise. Right. That's it's so, I mean, that's the struggle, right? It's the, which side of the horse are you going to fall off of? Kinda, right. At least in my mind. Right. It's like, I'm going to fall off one side or the other. I'm prone to do one or the other. Yeah. Um, I was even just thinking of how um, I appreciated your kind of your ending app, one of your ending applications of, you know, as you go on this, on your journey that God has placed you on, you're not alone. Don't do it alone. And don't just, yeah, like our church is great, you know, but like get some other people, get some other people involved here, right. you know, particularly people who don't know the Lord, right? you know. And that's that outward, and I think, you know, coming back to the idea of exile and persecution, um, batting down the hatches, you know. And, and I think that there's some, certainly some tendency in my own heart to do that. It's like, I, I'm not even going to try here. I'm just going to play it safe. I'll be nice. I'll do the easy things. I'll pray before meals and, you know, say the right things and do my best to, you know, honor my wife and love my kids well in front of 
unbelievers, but that's kind of I'm not going to go any further. Not going to go any further than that, you know. And that's me doing a really, really poor job of finding that balance. Um, I think. So I don't know, Brandon. You have similar experience with that. Well, I've never been married, so I don't have the spousal experience. But um, I certainly have had many times where, you know, I'm I'm trying to find a, a balance between being so uh, overly focused to the point that everything else gets ignored and then being so distracted that I'm not paying attention and, and mm-hmm. trying to find the, the balance on that tightrope. Um, where, you know, as you say, when, when people are watching, I'll, do the, I'll follow the script. But then once it's my time, now it's my time. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to just do what I feel like doing. Um, there's just every year multiple seasons of either direction and then everything in between so similar yes Mm. it really underscores um your point phil that there's there's really no such thing as a solo christian you know um and the need for not only believing that, but, you know, being willing to um, be accountable, being willing to be vulnerable to an extent with other believers, particularly in your church, being a member of a church, um, you know, um, being willing to be led by elders and deacons and older Christians in the faith, you know, things like that, you know, I'm, I don't know, I probably have said on this podcast before, certainly, uh, you know, when guys are getting together, I'm always kind of confessing. I, I try my best to build systems in my life um, that uh, to provide accountability, you know, because I just know myself at this point, and I know that I'm going to hide in the shadows, and I'm going to make excuses, and I'm going to fall off one side of the I'm not staying on that horse let's put mm-hmm. it that way once it starts kicking and bucking I'm off I'm out so um, you know finding guys who know me well enough to be able to f- even if I'm not confessing anything to be like Tim I haven't heard from you in a couple of days everything okay or hey you seem a little off today brother you know how, how are things with Allie or you know things like that or hey you mentioned you were struggling with this how's that going I need the <laughs> I need those kinds of things, and I, um, I kind of purposely seek that out in advance because I know when the time comes, I'm not going to be willing to do it on my own. So, um, anyway, I, I know I've gone off topic now, but these are the things that come to mind in hindsight or after having well, heard your first, sermon. First Peter is very much a book for the church, and so um, that. That was hinted at in this message, but it it will it will be a steadily increasing um, in volume th- throughout. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great. I mean, I'm, the book of Ephesians is known as a book for the church. First uh, Peter deserves to be thought of in that same hmm. category. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball here because the question came into my mind. I think sometimes we can be, uh, we as the church, and I guess particularly maybe reformed variation of the church can get classified or fall into this pattern of focusing too much on suffering and struggle and how do you how do you do that? You know how do you suffer well? And what's kind of the what, what, what would you say? And now I know we're talking about the first two verses of Peter, but what's the other what's the other side of that? Or where would Peter land on that? Do you think in terms of it's certainly not just about suffering? You know we we talked a little bit about it last mm-hmm. week, but. 
seems to me like we could almost kind of get a little one track mind in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and your sermon yesterday, Phil, although it was about your journey and you are in exile, it was by no means like, woe is us. It wasn't even, your tone wasn't e- even, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was somber. Uh, yeah, it was not, but it wasn't. It was, it was the ap- opposite of that, you know? Like, I, I didn't come out of that sermon feeling real heavy. I felt very light coming, mm-hmm. coming away from your sermons. But Hey, guys, we're exiles. But, but the topic, <laughs> nevertheless, was... I mean, Phil, you, you made multiple jokes yesterday. Uh-huh. I mean, you did. I did. Um, but the topic itself is, is, is a difficult one, you know, to think about it that way. Like, you're on a journey. You don't have a choice in that. It's rather difficult. I mean, all the things that we've already talked about this morning. So how do you get to the other place where that's not a heavy burden, I guess? Curveball, I know. Yeah. I'm sorry. Pete, uh, one of the images in my mind going into this message as I've been thinking about my own journey is of, and I don't surf, but as a, a guy on a surfboard, and if if it's possible that somehow he's being um, recorded, you know, with a with a body cam, and you, so here he is, you know, his arms are balanced out, and spray is hitting him in the face, and he <laughs> wipes it off, and he's keep going, and you know. He's got a little bit of a smile, but that, ooh, we got it's a serious moment there where I almost fell off, and then whoosh, he gets knocked off the board. Of course, it's strapped to his ankle. It doesn't hit him in the head, but it bonks him on the shin, and he, out, you know, ouch. And then you get the, hmm. the suppressed curse word, and um, but he's, he's all right. And so he hops on top of the board, and what does he do? He paddles out and does it again. So that was the, I didn't know how to preach a surfing sermon, but it was a surfing sermon. And I used the word journey, I guess, as a way of trying to say, um, trying to keep it light to a certain degree. So I I was playing with that, with that word, as we've already mentioned, but it was a serious play because I think too concentrated a focus on the negative side of the cross is demotivating. And in, at some level, it, it's a violation of the gospel aesthetic, which is overwhelmingly positive and hopeful. So looking out down the barrel of 26 sermons, two of which now are in the, you know, in the barn, um, we're going to have an occasion to have some very dark challenging examination of the bloody cross but it seemed like at the outset we want to try to capture peter's overall tone which is pretty hopeful he's he's pretty hopeful Hmm. and if anything he's trying to shake us out of a a, an overly grim approach because we are living in babylon or in the dispersion and jesus hasn't returned yet and so we have work to do. One commentator said, uh, the overall perspective of 1 Peter towards suffering is more like Jeremiah 29, which is a letter to the dispersed exiles in Babylon. Build houses, plant fields, get married, have children, bless the city. Hmm. So that's that. Um, that was the water pressure behind the wall of your journey with God was a call to hopeful action. Hmm. Or at least a call to a hopeful journey. The action piece is going to be a lot more explicit in, in coming weeks. How would you, how does Peter, I'm just thinking, saying his name, I know who Peter is, but. Like, this is Peter. That makes complete sense because mm-hmm. it's Peter. But I guess 
if you if you could and you're not a commentator <laughs> per se but how does that how is the fact that this is written by peter impact or carries to me it almost carries a little more weight because mm-hmm. i'm now thinking back of you know peter's life and him following jesus and if anybody was going to make that message clear it seems to me it had to mm-hmm. it had to have been him yeah almost obviously it's true but maybe it's not maybe it's not so obvious i mm-hmm. guess is what i'm saying or maybe i'm 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 reading into that too much mm-hmm. but um since since we are talking a little bit about background here and it, it is the the beginning <clears throat> um any thoughts that you have on you know how this being written by peter is an impactful thing in in and of itself for the context that it sets the the letter in yeah i have um i i'm actually going to def- i i mentioned a little bit about peter's story in the message when he became a satan do you remember that yeah that was that was good yeah that's powerful yeah can you um just remind our sure, listeners who sure. might not have heard the sermon brandon do you why don't you try to set that up yeah, it's um, you mentioned the passage where uh, Christ predicts and, and prophesies his death, and Peter literally, uh, the way you illustrated it, grabs Christ by the shoulders and says, "You will not go to Jerusalem." So he he actually physically and verbally opposes the plan of redemption, and so. Christ, yeah, literally uh, looks him right in the face and says, get behind me, you know, a a fancy old-fashioned way of saying, get out of my way, and then refers to him as Satan. Right. You know, and then you you describe the the Hebrew translation, ha-satan, being the enemy. Right. You're my adversary. You're not on my side. You're on the wrong side. Now get out of my way. Right. And it was just, you know, you, you mentioned Peter being number one you know, of the rank. Um, he's been there with him for years, and he, he, knows, he knows Christ very, very personally. He's beloved by Christ, closer friends than I think any of us will ever experience. And he says, you're, you're my enemy. Wow. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And it doesn't sound, you know, we were talking about some postmodernist soft tropes doesn't sound very no postmodern not playing to the crowd at that point yeah you know the the always friendly always uh kind christ that doesn't stand up Mm -hmm. to his enemies i mean he Mm -hmm. he will put you in his place he will put you in your place uh lovingly when when he ought to so that's the context and uh brenda did a great job of of retelling that story but the rest of your question, I'm going to punt <laughs> because uh, I don't know how well you've looked at the overall preaching schedule, but I've, I've strategically interspersed four sermons, a four-sermon miniseries within this, within this series on the life of Peter, which our own Scott Leary, his father and uh, Scott's son, Braden, Braden's grandfather, the Reverend Dr. James Leary, will be our preacher for the life of Peter this year. So at some point we'll have Dr. Leary in our podcast. Hopefully. And he's a podcast veteran, actually. He is. He so is. So I'm a little nervous about that now. Yeah. But uh, he's not that intimidating. Oh, no. He's, no. he's, no, he's wonderful. He's, a, he's wonderful. He's a but wonderful man. He's going to show us up, Phil. I mean. So, um, so Jim Leary is going to um, choose four scenes and he may choose that scene too to elaborate on, but he's going to choose four scenes from the life of Peter as a way of helping us get a, a lens on the, on, the, on, the, on the biography, on the narrative, the story of this, the man's life whose, whose letter we're reading at a mature point in his, in right. his theological and, and sanctificational development. See, I didn't even mean to when I set us up for future episodes. So that was a happy accident. Um, 
and I guess we'll let you punt for now. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> now, you, you mentioned uh, that I told a couple of jokes in the sermon. Yes. So, um, Brandon, we were, before the show started, we were talking about how I told a theologically heterodox <laughs> joke which I then said, don't criticize my theology, just laugh at the joke, which took all the air out of the joke, but became a second joke, which was funnier than the first joke. Yes, it was. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, so you agree Peter does not guard the pearly gates? Yeah, n no. Uh, I don't think that he is the one sitting on the throne of judgment deciding... Uh, who enters and who does not. Okay, but where does that come from? superstition or tradition yeah. come from? Yeah, as the resident uh, ex-Roman Catholic, I suppose you called him. Roman I Catholic. did. <laughs> the, uh, so the, the passage where Christ says to Peter that he gives him the keys to the kingdom. Okay. So he's sitting at the pearly gates with the keys. So this idea that you have to go to Peter... And Peter is going to judge you, and then Peter is going to turn that key or not. Uh, you know, the, the, And Peter, since Peter's dead and gone, who's holding the keys now from the Roman tradition? The Pope, yes. Papa, right? Francis. Well, who's the so-called See of Peter? Yes. The, yeah. So Francis is going to decide whether or not I... Yeah. And the rest of us uh, take take from that what you will, but well, I the, think Francis has decided that we're all going anyway because yes, you know he's speaking yes. of postmodern. He is the postmodern pope. Yes, very very true. Interestingly, you know the the seal, the crest, the the sigil of the Roman Catholic Church has that key on it. Two of them. Yeah, it's plural. So what are the those keys two keys the from the Roman traditions? We're really doing some deep theology now, guys. <laughs> I'm quizzing you. That's a future very seminarian. good question. The the one key would be to the pearly gates, and I, I don't know. I never considered the other key. Perhaps the key to it's, the to it's, the abyss. No, it's uh, it's um, um, earthly power. Ah, wow. So it's heavenly ecclesiastical power and a kind of earthly power. Now that we're, you know, on the airwaves, someone can correct me on that. But I, that's one of those topics that I've researched extensively and taught on. And then it's been so long ago that I've forgotten it. But, but I'm pretty sure that's what it means. Hmm. What is Calvin or what are the, Re the Reformation, Luther, Calvin, and, and all their cousins? Tim, do you know this <clears throat> in rehabilitating the, the, the doctrine of the keys? What was the question? What are the doctor? What is the doctrine? What are the two keys in a, in a more biblical uh, frame? Oh, do you know? Uh, I don't know what. Do you know what Calvin would say? I don't know what both, <coughs> um, but certainly, you know, I give you the keys of the kingdom. What what is the key? It's it's the gospel. So the preaching of the word is one key, and the exercise of discipline is the other key. Mm. So. The preaching of the word uh, binds and looses, but then the the presbyters, the 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 bishops, the shepherds in the flock, take that preaching of the word and bind and loose as well, which is a a, a rabbinical phrase related to um, a burden. So binding a burden is tying that thing to a person and loosing is releasing that thing from a person. Mm. And so pastors in the local church, um, whether you're uh, of the Episcopalian tradition, i.e. Uh, where bishops are a different office than, than an elder, or you're of the congregational tradition or the Presbyterian tradition, the Reformed biblical view is that the, the bishop, the elder, the shepherd has authority both to preach and to exercise church discipline. Those are the two keys. 
And so if you have a church that's just preaching and not exercising discipline, they're only carrying out half the task entrusted to them by Jesus. Wow. And if you have a church that's church discipline happy, which is rare, but, but it's, they're out there, then that's its own sort of perversion because it's kind of a, a power grab for some sort of a, you Control. know, we're going to show you how, how, how tough we are. Yeah, that actually, you know, you mentioned it being a rabbinic saying. <coughs> puts a whole new light on, on Jesus' phrase to the Pharisees. You bind up heavy burdens on the people, but you are not willing Perfect. to lift a finger of it. Matthew 23. Yeah. 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 Good connection. And uh, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So church discipline doesn't feel like rest for most of us, but um, when I've experienced church discipline and you guys at different levels have experienced church discipline, whether you've been excommunicated or not isn't the point. That's actually a misinterpretation of church discipline. It's a final serious act, but when guys are sitting around, you, you talked about church discipline just a couple yeah. minutes ago, Tim. Yeah. So <clears throat> uh, those brothers are acting on behalf of the chief shepherd, speaking words of life and freedom to us who would rather stay in the prison of our sin. Thank you for that release. Yeah. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Which to, to tie us back in, um, is kind of what you were, your, one of your points yesterday, Phil is, um, or not, not a whole point, but you were, you were talking about, you know, you, you don't go on the journey alone, mm-hmm. right? We're in this together. <clears throat> um, and that that's an important thing for all of us to continue to remember, I think. Um, and that we need to free ourselves of entanglements. We need to travel a little more light, lightly. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could really take all your points and tie it into, or use that thought and grab, you know, that's a, that's an, a cost to you, you know, living that's life true. with other people. And when I say living life, it's not just, Hey, we're chummy. How's your week? Oh, I'm doing okay. But like actually living life, whether it's a spouse or, you know, other brothers and sisters in the faith like that, that's hard, you know, and it is costly. Both on both ends of the spectrum. So if if you're needing the discipline, and again, not like slap hand discipline, but if you're needing discipline, that's hard um, to be vulnerable in that way, and it's certainly hard on the other end in and terms of loving people. You characterize it. I always remind people, discipline has the root word of being a student. So, you know, it's popular in Eastern spiritual. Uh, language and concepts like with uh, Buddhism and so forth to have a child's mind to uh, a beginner's mind to go back you know to always be learning new things and that that sounds great that's what discipline is is it's it's an appeal to not be so doggone grown up and act like you know everything Hmm. be be open to the possibility that you might have been promoted a, a few grades just because the teacher didn't want to have to deal with you and you actually your math skills are still in the second grade so yeah. it's not going to hurt you to go back to your uh, your times tables right <laughs> it's interesting that you, you mentioned the the root i was going to say exactly the same thing um being a latin teacher i refer to my students as discipuli mm. and the, i have a, a <clears throat> genius fourth grader he's 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 absolutely I don't know what planet he's from, but there's something different about his brain. And without me telling him the meaning of different words, I'll write different words on the board. And he'll just tell me what they mean because he can see similarities between that and English. And one of the first ones, I wrote the word discipulus. And he goes, oh, that's like, you know, student, like discipline. And I went, what? You know, fourth grade. He's like nine. That's great. But, yeah, this idea that, you know, discipline does not mean a beating 
uh, it means teaching, it means training. You're, you're learning something. You're, you're the student. Or you're an athlete, you know. I mean, we praise our athletes because in the off-season, what do they do? They get better. Yeah. yeah. So uh, why, why do people come to church without the expectation that they want to get better? Right. Um, that's, that's a whole... That, that's sort of a massive uh, cloud of pollution hanging over the American church is, um, you know, you're going to give me something that I want. Mm -hmm. Well, mm. Have, are you guys old enough to have watched any of the Rocky movies? Mm -hmm. You know, when remember he's training to fight that Russian and he's doing these <laughs> <clears throat> lifting logs and <laughs> in the snow, you know, doing sit-ups in the snow yeah. with somebody yelling in his face, you can't quit, you know. <clears throat> so we love that for our sports figures, be they mythical or real, but don't. Don't give me any training in the church, so. Oh wow, yeah. So I think I think we've got a long ways to go in in this, but that's that's why we're doing this. That's why we're on the airwaves with this show. Right. We can have harder conversations, perhaps, and uh, give people a little more space to think about it. It's hard to hear it directly from uh, the pastor in the pulpit. Doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. But you need to be be wise about it. It's even harder when it's in your living room and it's in a crisis mode when you didn't expect the visit. But from the highly personal to the maybe the podcast here isn't quite so personal. We want to do our part in helping advance the cause of the Lord in the world and and certainly at Mercy Hill. Yeah. <coughs> you said it yesterday from the pulpit, Phil, um, encouraging people to be reading, right? That's a daily discipline, reading the Word. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you know it's a holy Bible, right? It's set apart. Um, real, uh, real quick on that point, Tim, I had uh, a woman in the church come up to me afterwards and share her Bible reading plan. And apparently she's reading the Bible uh, according to a, a plan, you know, a chart mm -hmm. of some sort. Mm -hmm. But then there's a pastor who's giving a 20-minute explanation of that Bible reading. She said, Phil, you should do that. So I'm reading through the New Testament this year. I mentioned that yesterday. And uh, what do you think about me recording a 10 or 15-minute kind of, not that I'm going to study to prepare for that, but just kind of extempore. So today for me is like Matthew 13, I think. You know, just a quick which is the parable chapter mm -hmm. so kind of mm -hmm. a quick high level if anyone could do it phil <laughs> you could do it that's the first thing i'll say um are, are you saying that i'm i've been gifted i've been given the gift of gab uh yeah i wouldn't put it that way but okay. i mean those exact words i think what you said bef right before that is even better you know extempore you're you're you are gifted in that ability you know in in being able to to speak you've studied these pastors so, so much you know and and you have a lot of things to say i mean last week you were you were showing me your stack of of quotation index cards yeah. which i'm sure you don't have memorized but you probably remember a lot of them even if you don't know word for word or where right. they came from right so yeah if, if anyone could do it you, you certainly you, could you mean the burdens that i need to have loosed from me is what those note cards are yeah yeah um actually and and that concept i've actually um become aware of a, a couple of different people and instances who are doing that that same thing so that reading plan is probably the same one i'm following this okay. year is my guess okay are um, you utilizing the podcast port part or no um <clears throat> when i'm able you know i don't always have 30 minutes in my day to listen to a podcast it is helpful to, um, particularly for some of the uh, harder passages, mm -hmm. you know, a genealogy mm -hmm. or, you know, I'm not in Leviticus yet, but you know, those, those get a little bit challenging to so read and whole, remember. Does the pastor wind up commenting on the whole Bible? Wow. It's not a, 
if it's the same one, and I, and I don't it's know. It's not if it a is, verse by verse. It's more. It's of a, a it's a passage by passage, and it's not so much a commentary on this is how you apply it, or let me interpret that for you. It's more of a context observational Bible study type okay. approach. Okay. Like this is what this. Let me replay the narrative for you. Um, if you didn't know Hebrew. You probably would want to consider this. It could mean this. It could mean this. It could mean this. We're not really sure. Mm. So um, it's been helpful. You know, it's just kind of a, when I have been able to, to tune into the podcast piece, it's been helpful as a, almost a reminder of what I read. Mm. So I don't, you know, just read mindlessly to mm. check off the box, if you will. So um, mm. my, uh, one of my, my good friends whom I got a chance to visit two weeks ago at his church in Maryland, um, PCA Church in Maryland. He's the pastoral assistant there, and he and their pastor are doing a very similar thing where they're doing a, a read-through of the entire Bible, and he's splitting the duties. So he does some, and the pastor does some, and they record it, pre-record it. It's like 20 minutes, the reading, and then their thoughts on it, and they post it daily. Hmm. So anyway, it's... Something that's out there, um, you know, whether we need the Phil Henry version, yeah, I would I never say, say no. If, if, but If people are doing it, then maybe we can leave it at that for now. <laughs> <laughs> trying to take one more thing off your, off your plate, Phil. But if you did it, I would totally listen in. <laughs> for um, sure. On suffering and teaching, I, I am wanting to... Uh, Tim Keller has a great book. I don't love everything he's done, but... He's got a particularly helpful book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Hmm. And um, I would like to have a guided study of that book, kind of running in tandem with our journey through First Peter, maybe on a Monday night and when we've done our school of discipleship, maybe uh, if I can get permission from, from the women, because the women have a study on Wednesday nights, because I don't want to detract in any way, I would want to add if they're willing for us to, to add and do something on a, on a Wednesday night. Um, but like a tw- it'd be like a 12-week study. Hmm. Is that something that would appeal to either of you guys, uh, kind of a book study hmm. on suffering and, and how it might apply to our lives? You said 12 weeks? On, I don't know if you, if you said what day of the week it'd be either like a monday night or a wednesday night i'm not sure possibly Possibly. i guess it depends on the book i think it i think it would be good i think it would be good for our church yeah it might not be for everybody but if we could get five or ten people in that i think it, it could be a real mixed mixed group i think it'd be men and women so it's kind of what i was thinking monday night in that time slot ten that we've yeah. done before. Yeah. It's it's helpful, I think. Um, one, one of the many reasons why I love doing this podcast with you, Phil, it's helpful to have thoughts about what, what we're learning from your preaching on Sundays that isn't just the sermon, right? So it's about the sermon. Maybe it's tangential to the sermon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's certainly helpful to, to say, all right, well, this is, these were your points. Let's talk about those points and re- recap that and rehash it. But um, I think God is pleased to, to use other means in our lives and interweave that into what he's teaching us from the pulpit. So having a, a study in a book about a topic that is prominent in the letter that we're hearing from us Sunday mm-hmm. mornings is um, more certainly di- would be helpful. More, more discipleship there, hopefully, yeah. would be the goal. Yeah. So. Well, if, if any of the congregation hears this and is interested, they can let me know. But I've got a couple takers already that, I, that have expressed interest in. What better way to uh, market that? that plan than to put it, on, <laughs> put it on our podcast. Broadcast. So, yeah. Um, yeah, if you're interested in that, um, please let Phil know, and uh, we'll give an update if that actually um, 
comes to fruition, whatever that plan looks like, we can let people know through this avenue as well. Um, coming to the, the end of our time the, today, any other thoughts that we didn't we didn't hit that you guys wanted to to bring up? And we have 24 more weeks to go, so we you know, do. plenty of time we to, do. to circle back. We but do. 24 plus the four, um, four sermon series on the life of Peter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a long journey ahead. It is a long journey. <laughs> See what I did there? I did. Yeah. So that, that's why I have this seat, you know, because <laughs> I, I can make those kinds of connections. You're doing great. You're, you're well on your way to the to uh, being a journeyman in dad jokes. Oh, there we go. here we go. What? The dad jokes? Was that was there a problem there, guys? Yeah. No, they're the best. Here come the, best here come the puns. The puns. Yeah. Now we know it's definitely time to wrap up once <laughs> the puns start coming out. Um, any any parting thoughts for our listeners today, gentlemen? I, I did um, I did enjoy the all the new technology we had in the house on Sunday. I got a new microphone and there was a new actually two new microphones and lots of fancy gadgets so <clears throat> it is a sign of our of the times that that's an important aspect of ministry and <clears throat> we want you to um uh, be heard to the best to the best of our ability, and certainly um, and not distracted, which is a, a right. tough combo. Right, right. <clears throat> we don't want you to be distracted, and we certainly want to um, allow our church or or any other folks out there to be able to um, hear what God has to say. So, as you actually tying back in your sermon, as you mentioned, it's no substitute for coming on a Sunday mm. and participating in the church. Um, but it is nice to be able to serve those in our church in particular who may be ill or happen to be traveling for work or, or they just want to be able to check in later in the week and listen to the sermon again. I listened to it again this morning. Almost every Monday I'll re-listen to your sermon in preparation mm-hmm. um, of uh, coming to, to chat with you guys. So... It is certainly not a necessity, but certainly a, a blessing to to have the technology. So, Brandon, thanks for joining us. Of course. Brother, I hope uh, you've enjoyed your time. We're thankful to have you and um, plan to have you back again, I'm sure. Well, one thing we don't tell people before they come and join us, Phil, is that um, they are agreeing to coming back whenever whenever we so choose to, to ask them to, to return. So this is an open-ended contract on your end that so you have... Uh... I've been placed on a, on a journey. <laughs> oh, oh, very good. Very. See, he's good. Yeah. So we'll def- definitely have to... <laughs> he's still a beginner in the dad jokes journey, though. Yes. Maybe, maybe when I'm a dad, yeah. they'll, they'll you'll, suddenly blossom. You'll get there. You'll get there. You are like a father in the classroom, though. I had a, a student... Uh, <clears throat> who actually grew up with no father, um, say exactly that, that she sees mm-hmm. me as a father. And, you know, I, I'm not one to visibly or outwardly display emotion, but that was tough. Um, you tear up at something like yeah, that, mm-hmm. that pretty quick. Yeah, she said. And it's know. a it's a huge responsibility that we shouldn't take for granted. Yeah. Well, thanks for everyone for joining us today for uh, this episode of The Deeper Cut. Thanks, Phil and Brandon, for the conversation. I've been uh, greatly blessed by it. We hope that all of you listening have been blessed as well. Um, Just as as a reminder, if you'd like to join us for one of these recordings, Phil and I would love to have you. Um, Open invitation to all of you. Just reach out to one of us and we'll uh, find a day and time that works for your schedule and for ours. Um, if you've hadn't had a chance to listen to Phil's sermon from this past Sunday um, that we spoke about this morning, it is posted on our website and our other um, podcast channel, our sermon podcast. Um, and we'll, we'll be with you again next week, Lord willing. So God bless. Have a good day and see you then. <laughs>